You're listening to the Bible Nerd Podcast, a weekly show where we're exploring the world of the Bible, helping you fall more in love with Jesus, and building a thoughtful defense for the Christian worldview. I'm your host, Steve Schramm. Welcome to the show. Well, good morning, Bible nerds. It's been a few weeks since I've been back with you, and I've, um, I'm just, man, I'm really excited to dive back in and uh, give you some updates about what's been going on what things are going to be like moving forward, and uh, diving right into the Bible. Diving right into the Bible. So, uh, first things first, have a couple uh, just uh, real quick announcements here. So, we're going to be starting a new series with this episode on um, the book of John. And in a wider context, the goal is to do really expositional theology and apologetics. So let me explain what I mean by that. So there are a lot of really awesome resources, um, hopefully, including the pastor at your church um, who teach the Bible in an expositional manner. That is, they go verse by verse, they go line by line, um, usually within the context of a book of the Bible that you're going through, and um, really help you tie the pieces together with a with a mind towards the practical application, um, literally studying the Bible together to learn how to be a better follower of Jesus. That is uh, expositional preaching and really trying to understand what the text of the Bible means to communicate. But we understand that when you're in the context of a church service, right, you're not always going to have time to go into the nitty gritty of things. Right, you're not going to get into well the Bible nerdery typically on a Sunday morning. Um, you might get into that a little bit. We do at our church a little bit on Wednesday nights, but still not usually in this expositional kind of through the Bible um, manner. And over the years, there have been resources kind of like this, but I, I thought it would be really really helpful to use this podcast as a way to move through different portions of scripture in that sort of manner with an eye and an ear toward theological themes um, and even apologetics uh, based themes that we can use to learn how to not only understand our Bible better, but also how to become a better defender of the faith. If you listen to the intro of this podcast, um, I usually skip the intros to most podcasts, but hey, if you listen uh, to my intro, it's really short. We basically explain what the goal of this podcast is, right? To explore the worldview of the Bible, to help you fall more in love with Jesus, and also to build a thoughtful defense for the Christian worldview. So those are kind of the three goals that we work towards no matter what we do, and I want to continue along those lines, but I want to do it in a way that explores the Bible itself, rather than just whatever kind of theme <laughs> that, uh, that is going on uh, in my crazy mind for the week. So if that sounds good, then I invite you just to hang around. We're going to start off uh, doing this in the book of John, and I picked that simply because this is what me and my family are going through from the more practical standpoint in our nightly Bible studies, and I thought this would be a really cool place to start. There's a lot of awesome stuff going on in the book of John with respect to Christological themes and uh, the miracles of Jesus and just such really, really cool stuff that we can dive into and look at some of the contextual stuff from the time period and just dive into the words of Scripture and understand what the Bible 
is trying to communicate to us. So the better theology we can build, the more that we are going to fall in love, I believe, with the God of the Bible. And that is the goal. Okay, so we're going to start that. Again, I'm just calling this basically expositional theology and apologetics. And uh, we might hit the random topic or the random interview here and there. Um, But I'm just really excited to actually look at the Bible through this deeper lens. And we're just going to take our time. I mean, we're going to probably spend... um, I mean, this entire first episode is going to be just John uh, 1 and verse 1. Um, Well, the book of John and chapter 1 and verse number 1. Okay? So we're going to take our time, right? And as questions come up, I want to give you the opportunity to email those in or ask those, and we can actually go through them. So that brings me actually to my next point. Um, One of the things, so since um, April, I want to say, I have been virtually absent from Facebook uh, for a number of reasons, and um, that is the social media channel where uh, historically I have spent most of my time, and as many of you are aware, uh, the world is kind of a crazy place right now, and honestly, it was just really putting me in a really bad place where every time I would open up Facebook, you know, I mean... I would just end up endlessly scrolling and getting madder and madder and madder with every single word that I read. And it was not good for me. It was not good for my family. It was not good for, frankly, anybody around me. And so I sort of went cold turkey and just said, enough is enough. I deleted the app from my phone. I think I've probably been to the Facebook website a handful of times, um, you know, maybe 10 times or so to, to check things, um, you know, very specific things. But uh, the endless uh, scrolling and, you know, looking at everybody's political opinions, etc. I haven't done that at all since uh, basically April. And it's been really, really nice. Um, but it does kind of put me out of touch <laughs> uh, somewhat with, with the world. And I don't really like that. I, I would like to um, be able to have a little bit more contact. So um, I've started really working on my Instagram account. So um, if you're on Instagram, and many of you are, I would really love for you to go over there and follow me. You can find me at SWSRAM. I'm going to be putting out some content over there from time to time, um, trying to post at least one thing every day, uh, just really to give some encouragement and more, more so to produce and to give out and to create value for those who follow me rather than for me to just endlessly scroll. Um, so if you want to join me over there on Instagram, again, I plan on doing posts with some pretty regular inspiration and things of that nature. Um, just get a little bit more insight into into me if that's, uh, for some reason, something that interests you. Um, but that is where you can uh, connect with me. And another thing that I, I think I'm going to start doing over there is live Q&As. Now, let me explain just a little bit about this. Um, so my... Uh, my mom, without going all into it, uh, my mom has something called multicentric Castleman's disease, and it's pretty rough. Um, it's a condition that you can actually read about it on like cancer.com. Um, it's not cancer, but it is um, very elusive, and it acts kind of like cancer and can have very similar effects. Um, unfortunately, because of the nature and rarity of the disease, it's not quite treated with the respect that cancer is. And so even though it can have a lot of the same effects, it has the same sort of treatment. Uh, literally, chemotherapy and radiation treatment are, um, in extreme cases, um, like my mom's, they are what uh, is used in order to treat this, um, but it doesn't get the respect uh, of, of the actual, uh, you know, 
severity of cancer because it's it's just not very well understood. So, um, I'm really interested uh, in this particular cause, and I'm not going to pretend like I know a, a whole bunch about it or like there's a whole lot that I specifically can do, but there is a group of doctors, um, it is the Castleman's uh, Collaborative Network, and they are working, and they're led by Dr. Um, David Fagenbaum, I think is how you say his name, and um, Dr. David, that's a lot easier to say, uh, Dr. David himself is a patient and actually is probably one of the biggest and foremost advocates for this cause that there is because again he is a patient and nobody really could find a cure for him so he searched for a cure for himself and he has been kind of leading the charge for the last 10 years or so in this area and so it's just really interesting to see and they are a group that needs more attention and it needs more support. And I found this nifty little feature on Instagram where you can actually, um, when you go live in videos there, you can request sponsorships. In other words, you can you can say, okay, this live video is is um, going to be for the purpose of donating to this cause, and you can do kind of like fundraisers. Well, I thought it might be cool to have Q and A's over there, uh, sort of like an Ask Me Anything. Uh, it could be about any topic really, but of course, in in our context here, it might be related to the Bible. And you go over there and you leave a donation and then you ask a question and it's for the purpose, 100% of the proceeds go to supporting the um, collaborative network for Castleman's disease. And I just thought this would be a really, really cool way, something that I could do uh, if there was some interest in it that would help. And I don't care if, you know, for me personally, I don't think there's any minimums, but I don't care if it's 50 cents or a dollar or or $50, but we might hold some Q&As over there with the specific purpose of doing some fundraising for that group because it's a cause I'm so passionate about. Um, it's uh, This thing has really caused my mom uh, some grief, and maybe we'll talk about that more sometime. But I, I'm just passionate about that and I think that this would be something really cool um, to involve my uh, my audience in so that's what we're going to be looking at and also over there on Instagram they have this IGTV feature where it's kind of like a little TV series you know we might do some stuff with that I'm not sure but follow me over there for some interesting things and um, we'll see what is going to be uh, what's going to come from that I don't know what 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 is but we will just have to see Okay, well, that's it for now. That is plenty uh, of announcements for now. We're going to just dive right into the text of John 1 and see what the Bible has for us today. Let's go ahead and read. I'm just going to read um, verses 1 and 2. They are pretty much going to capture our attention for the remainder of the uh, episode here. Okay, John 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Now, immediately as we read these verses, we see something that is very, very striking. We see a very explicit connection back to Genesis 1. And what's so interesting about that is just in general, a principle that you kind of have to realize when it comes to understanding and interpreting the Bible. There is a lot of reference back from New Testament writers to Old Testament writers and characters 
and situations. Um, there are lots of literary connections that are very, very um, present that I honestly did not take into account for very much of my Christian life when reading the Bible. In fact, to put it a little bit differently, I never really realized how profoundly Jewish the New Testament was. Because a lot of us growing up, you know, we hear that, you know, basically the Old Testament is kind of relevant to this idea of uh, Judaism and Israel and Israel's history, and it is, and that's, that's true. But then we hear this huge dichotomy right? Between the Old and the New Testament. And we think of the New Testament as this completely separate thing. Even if we know that Jesus was a Jew, right? And that most of his followers were Jewish and that Paul was a Hebrew, right? Like we have, we have that context. We know that that's, that's floating around in our consciousness, but yet we still make this hardline distinction, right, between the Old and the New Testament. And we, we just immediately begin to think of everything in the New Testament as church and everything in the Old Testament as Israel. And that is just not the case. Of course, we don't find anything about the church, you know, in air quotes, in the Old Testament but we find plenty of explicit connections back to Jewish ideas in the New Testament, right? Because it is a profoundly Jewish document, okay? And so when we see this, it shouldn't be surprising to us to see immediately we get this connection back to Genesis 1. And lest this be confusing, right? This is John's report of Jesus as he understood him to be the Messiah. We're going to find out as we go through and spend a lot more time in the Gospel of John that the deity of Christ is on full blast, okay? It is on display in this book in a way unlike it is in any other. And actually, some have... Uh, said that this causes problems, right, for uh, the text of the Bible. In other words, they they believe in this kind of development narrative, right, where uh, where John supposedly comes later, and the more that you read through the different Gospels, you start to see this development of Jesus as a character, as a person, and as you begin. Uh, you know, early, with earlier documents, he looks more like a man, and then he develops uh, over time into this uh, God figure. And of course, that that is totally bunk. It's totally false. It's based on numerous uh, assumptions that we are not getting into today, although we probably will be spending some time on that as we go through the book. Now, it's probably a safe assumption that if you listen to this podcast, you have read the book of John before, but whether you have uh, or you haven't, it's good review to know that this uh, chapter, this entire chapter one, is really going to be drawing um, and sketching out this explicit connection that we're talking about between Jesus and the first, uh, excuse me, the second person of the Trinity. That's what's going on. And 
when we get into verse three, we're going to look at Jesus essentially being identified as the creator, right? This is making Jesus equal with Yahweh, which is making, you know, first century Jews pretty upset. So immediately when we look at verse one, we're introduced to the idea of multiplicity in the Godhead. Why is that? Well, again, so it says in the beginning, and we understand that this is taking us back all the way to the very beginning. Okay, if we wanted to think about it in modern terms, we could think about it in terms of time, space, matter. But what the author here is pointing out is that before there was anything, there was God. Okay, before there was anything else, there was God. God was completely and entirely separate from his creation. Okay, and in the beginning was the word. Now, wait a minute. I thought in the beginning was Elohim, right? Because because God created the heavens and the earth. And so who is this who is this word character? And then to make matters worse, it said, and the word was with God. But wait a minute. I thought God was alone, right? Right. Wasn't God alone in the beginning? And now we're going to get really weird. And the word was God. The word was with God and the word was God. So you see immediately we have this idea of multiplicity going on in the Godhead. Now, this passage makes it explicitly, um, I guess if you want to say clear, right? Uh, it's, this is one of those uh, topics that's almost clear as mud. Um, but it, it is clear that God is both one and many. He is both one and many. It's interesting. Um, there's a really funny video um, on uh, on YouTube. Uh, I forget the name of the channel. It's Lutheran something. Lutheran comedy maybe. Um, and uh, it deals with this idea of uh, the analogies that folks use to try to explain the, the Trinity. And I was talking about this with my wife the other night because, uh, again, like I said, we're going through this text with the kids. And so, you know, trying to explain to them, you know, how, you know, some of these complex topics and, you know, they're you know, four and three and, you know, they're, I mean, they're young kids. Um, so, but we're going through and they're smart and we're just, you know, we're going to lay it out like the Bible says. We're not going to sugarcoat anything or, you know, make anything, you know, so simple that it's um, unrecognizable from the biblical text. You know, we're just not going to do that. And it's interesting that, um, that this concept, right, is so, I mean, in one sense, simple to understand because you can think of things that are both one and many. And yet, it is the basically the first and most pressing and ancient um, philosophical problem that there is, the problem of the one and the many, okay? Let me explain a little bit of this to you. I'm going to quote from uh, David Lewis, writing in 1993, kind of expounding and explaining this problem, and hopefully you can kind of see how the Trinity may end up providing somewhat of a solution to this problem. Okay, quote, Think of a cloud, just one cloud, and around it a clear blue sky. Seen from the ground, the cloud may seem to have a sharp boundary. Not so. The cloud is a swarm of water droplets. At the outskirts of the cloud, the density of the droplets falls off. Eventually, they are so few and far between that we may hesitate to say that the outlying droplets are still part of the cloud at all. Perhaps we might better say that 
only that they are near the cloud, but the transition is gradual. Many surfaces are equally good candidates to be the boundary of the cloud. Therefore, many aggregates of droplets, some more inclusive and some less inclusive, and some inclusive in different ways than others, excuse me, inclusive in different ways than others, are equally good candidates to be the cloud. Since they have equal claim, how can we say that the cloud is one of these aggregates rather than another? But if one of them counts as clouds, then we have many clouds rather than one. And if none of them count, each one being ruled out because of the competition from the others, then we have no cloud. How is it then that we have just one cloud? And yet we do. Close quote. So this is a sort of, you know, illustrative uh, explanation of the problem of the one and the many. And this is just one of those ancient philosophical problems that is so paradoxical in nature that in terms of just looking at philosophy, there have been things proposed, but there's really no solution to the problem. Nothing gets all the way there. Nothing can account for this. In fact, the only thing that I have ever run into, the only concept I have ever heard explained that could account for something like this is, in fact, the Trinity. It is. It is this problem where um, there is nothing contradictory. There is nothing contradictory about how we understand the Trinity in its classical formulation. And you can go read the Chalcedonian formula, and that is going to give you a really good explanation. Uh, basically, it's an explicit statement of the way that the Bible characterizes God's nature. And uh, I would just, yeah, I definitely would encourage you to go to go read that. The Chalcedonian formula is what it's called, and this explains that in a very uh, in a very nice way. Now, R.J. Rushduni writes, "Quote: Orthodox Christianity has asserted another answer to the problem, and." To make clear that answer, certain elementary distinctions are necessary. Theology and philosophy distinguish between the ontological trinity and the economical trinity in speaking of God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are each a personality, and together they constitute the triune and exhaustively personal, totally self-conscious God. God is totally self-conscious, meaning that he has no hidden, unknown aspects of his being, no unexploited potentiality. He is actuality, self-conscious and personal. Each person of the Trinity is equally God. Since both the one and the many are equally ultimate in God, it immediately becomes apparent that these two seemingly contradictory aspects of being do not cancel one another out but are equally basic to the ontological trinity. One God, three persons. Again, since temporal unity and plurality are the products and creation of this triune God, neither the unity nor the plurality can demand the sacrifice of the other to itself. Close quote. So this is essentially a demonstration of unity in diversity. The Trinity provides the answer to the most basic of philosophical problems. 
the problem with the one and the many. And here we go, right away, the very first verse of the book of John, who, you know, I mean, it's like the common skeptical attacks on some of these writers are just crazy. You know, the Bible was written by goat herders and, you know, this whole thing. It's like, well, these were some pretty smart guys, right? These guys were pretty literate. They um, were, they had understanding of a lot of the problems of their day, philosophical problems, theological problems. They had a grip. They read, right? They read other people. They just did. They read other writings. They were familiar with others. And yet, they were being carried along, right, by the Holy Spirit. They were writing the words that God intended for them to write. They were perfectly prepared, and they were perfectly positioned to be able to accomplish what God intended to accomplish with the Scriptures. And right here, in this first verse of the book of John the Beloved, we have this explanation and this solution, really, to the most ancient of philosophical problems. It's just it's just marvelous to me. And it's like, if all you ever do, if all you ever experience is, you know, what I might call a Sunday school level Christianity and a Sunday school level knowledge of the Bible, you know, you're not going to get into stuff like this. And, you know, this is the kind of learning that was, you know, pretty basic hundreds of years ago, but these days were just so shallow. And really, you know, if I can wax eloquent for a minute, you know, that again is just the purpose of this podcast. I just, I want you to understand that when we read the Bible, we are reading God's inspired word. We are, we are reading the book that refutes all of the bad philosophy, all of the bad theology, all cultic um, machinations that have been made over the centuries. Literally, the Bible refutes them, all of them, and takes them captive. And we should do the same thing. We, as the Apostle Paul instructed, should take our thoughts captive so that we are not taken by vain philosophy. You see, the problem is that there are no new problems. The problem is that there are no new problems, okay? When we look back, all of these things that we see today, that these ideas that are based on bad thinking, they are based on even and sometimes maybe righteous motives, but the the methods are the madness, right? All of these things, um, they go back to issues that have been around forever, Okay? The denial of God, the um, hedonistic tendencies of man, the failure to um, heed God's word, the intent to distort God's word. These are things that we are taken uh, by surprise with today. And, and yet, they're ancient problems. The very first problem in the Bible, right, was the serpent twisting the words of God to deceive Eve and questioning the foundation, questioning the authority of God's word. And that is the same exact thing that takes place 
today. And so we are wise to look back. Remember Romans 15, 4. These things were written aforetime for our learning. We need to look back to the Bible. We need to understand that the Bible has the solutions for these problems. But, you know, you're not going to see this if your primary concern is to just check a checkbox in a daily Bible reading plan. Or if you go and you attend Sunday school, even faithfully, but then you never open up your Bible through the week. And so producing this podcast, right, is a way that I can help you. It's a way that I can help you see deeper into your Bible, penetrate through to those areas that maybe you don't usually wade into on your own. So the Trinity answers this problem of the one and the many, and we have this explicit explanation and demonstration of multiplicity in the Godhead. Next, we want to talk about the ontological word, the ontological word. Now, the word ontology, you actually heard uh, Rush Dooney in the quote a few moments ago, make a distinction between the ontological trinity and the economical trinity. Now, the reason why this distinction is necessary is because we understand that there are different, essentially, functions, right? When we're talking about the Trinity, we have to understand that if we're talking about it ontologically, then there are some different language that has to be used. And if we're talking about it economically, economically, for example, we talk about the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, right? There's this father-son sort of relational dynamic. But ontologically, they are God, right? One in the same. They are one being, but three persons, okay? So when we talk about the word ontology, we're really talking about something's nature, something's state of being, okay? Now, the word... Um, word here is logos in the Greek. You notice it's capitalized. It's talking about a title for the second person of the Trinity. The word, the logos, which just means word or message. And so what, what we're being introduced to here is the essence of who Christ was pre-incarnate. I'm going to read this uh, quote to you from the um, Introducing Biblical Theology by Greinheim. It's a, actually a really, really good little resource that I found recently. And I think this is an awesome kind of uh, synopsis here, and this will help you understand what is going on in these verses. He says this, quote, When we turn to the writings of the Apostle John, we find the most elaborate Christology in the New Testament. In contrast to the synoptic Gospels, John begins his Gospel with a view from eternity. In his prologue, he makes extensive use of wisdom language, but also John avoids identifying Jesus with God's wisdom. Instead, he calls Jesus the Word. The Word has associations of the Word that God spoke at creation and God's wisdom. The Word is pre-existent, and it was present with God as God's agent in creation. This Word gives life and light to people. Human beings reject the Word, but the Word gives life to those who receive it. 
Most of what John says about the word in 1, 1 through 13 is something that many Jews could have said about God's wisdom. But 1.14 introduces an idea that would have been much more difficult to accept. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, or tabernacled among us. John here alludes to the tabernacle, when God made his dwelling with Israel in the wilderness. At that time, God dwelled among his people in a tent. But when Jesus was born, God dwelled among us in a human being, Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the people depended on their leaders and on the sanctuary for God's presence. But now, he was personally right there among them. He could be heard, seen, and even touched. Theologians refer to this miracle as the Incarnation. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? Uh, That's the end of that quote, by the way. But isn't that just wonderful to think that um, so much good theology there, right? That uh, that the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about that when we get to that verse. We're gonna talk about the incarnation. We're gonna talk about some thoughts about that, um, and uh, a little bit of the doctrine of Christ and how we should think about that as a Christian. Have some interesting thoughts and ideas about that. And so we'll see where that uh, particular portion of the study takes us. But it's amazing to think that uh, this God who created everything, created the world, created you and me, wants to have this relationship with us. And that really is the practical side of this. That the creator, the one who was pre-existent, the one who existed from the beginning, loved you and me as small as we are. And wanted that relationship with us such that he took on another nature. He took on a human nature like us, bore the weight of our sin, even though he knew no sin, so that he could redeem us and afford us the ability to have the imputed righteousness of God himself. God became man so that man could share in the spiritual relationship with God. In, as C.S. Lewis so eloquently called it, the dance, right? The Kind of the, the Trinitarian dance. We get to be in this mix because we have union with, with Christ through the word who was made flesh in the person of Jesus. And that is what the book of John introduces us to. On the one hand, in two verses, we have seen the solution to the most ancient and pressing problem in philosophy. And yet, and yet in it, in its, in its beauty, in its complexity, we see the simplicity of the message that God became man for us. It's just amazing to think about. As you think about that this week, I'm really excited to dive into the rest of this study already. And we're going to talk about the word as the 
creator. You see, because verse 1 previews the explicit link. And that's just coming in verse 3. We're going to talk about this uh, next week, Lord willing. But it previews this explicit link between Yahweh and Jesus as being co-equal in creation. It actually calls readers back to the creation story. You remember I started out by mentioning that to you, how oftentimes New Testament writers will call you back to themes and even words and explicit uh, passages in the Old Testament. Well, the same thing is going back here. John wants you to have Genesis 1 in your mind. And all of these connections should start just popping into your head for the reader between who Jesus is and who Yahweh is because of these parallels in creation. So next time we're going to talk about Jesus the creator, right? We're going to talk about him as a pre-existent one. We're going to talk about him as the one who holds all things together. We're going to talk about Jesus as the very one who brought us to life, who brought us into existence, who gave us life. And as the writer wrote a moment ago, who gave us light. I'm really, really excited about that. All right. Thank you so much for choosing to spend some time with me today. And I'm hoping that you're looking forward to this series. As always, you can send me questions at steve at steveshram.com. I think it would be really cool as we go through these series. Uh, certainly, I think some questions are going to arise as we study the Bible. Questions do arise. And so, you know, feel free to go to Google, right, to, to get your questions answered. But um, I would love to know what your questions are, right, so that I can explore them with you because you might think of something that I haven't thought of that I would love to know the answer to myself. So if you would love to, um, ask a question, you could just email me, of course, steve at stevestream.com. Or again, if you want to follow me over there on Instagram, I'm going to be doing some special stuff with Q&A over there on Instagram. Not only the thing I mentioned about the Castleman's Disease Network, but probably a Q&A series on Instagram Live, where if you send in your questions ahead of time, uh, excuse me, not Instagram Live, but IGTV. So if you send in your questions ahead of time, I can actually go over there and answer them on IGTV, and that'll just be the place where I can I can answer your questions. So I'm really, really excited about that uh, possibility. So if you have questions that arise as we move through this series, then send them over to me so that we can explore them together. And just to make a final point as we're closing up here, you know, I think it's important to know that I don't consider myself to be like some expert, <laughs> uh, you know, um, uh, of the Bible, um, you know, that, that where I've got all this stuff figured out and I'm, I'm, you know, the, the expert Bible teacher with all the knowledge, you know, I, I, that's not how I perceive myself. Um, in my pride, maybe sometimes I start to think that, but then I'm very quickly humbled to realize how little I do know. Um, as far as I'm concerned, guys, we're just exploring this stuff together. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're just trying to figure out how to understand the Bible uh, together. And I'm on this journey with you and I'm learning things every day. I'm asking new questions. I'm getting new answers. And so I'm just excited about exploring the Bible together with you. Really, that's all it is. And so um, I thank you for giving me your ear, for giving me your time as we work through these things and just, um, it's just so exciting to me to dive into the text of the Bible and see what God has for us. So I pray that you will continue to do that along with me each and every week. Again, follow me on Instagram. You can just search for Steve Shram or find me at SWSram and you'll see my content there. So I'm just looking forward to meeting you and interacting with you over there. All right. God bless. I hope you have a wonderful day and we'll see you on the next one.